Amen. Are you ready to send Jeremy and Melissa to the people God has called them to reach? I want to invite our ushers to come forward this morning as we prepare to receive our mission offering. And uh, if you're giving your normal mission gift, we encourage you to do that this morning. If you have not made a monthly mission commitment, consider doing that today. Uh, But most importantly, we encourage you to designate your gift to help us send Jeremy and Melissa to Japan. And so as you designate your gifts, if you could just write Japan on there, we'll make sure it goes in their direction. Uh, as I stated last week, our goal is to, to raise that $14,000 today. Uh, I believe it's possible. I believe that if everybody does something, we can reach this goal. And so I'm asking everybody to do what you can today. Some of you say, well, I'm not prepared to give right now, uh, but I could give this afternoon. I could text this afternoon or I could do something tomorrow or sometime this week. Um, Please do. But if you're able to do something right now here this morning, we're going to encourage you to do that. If we could put our giving slide up this morning, just to remind you the different ways in which you can give at Glad Tidings, you can text right now if you would like. And you could actually designate uh, a missions gift through texting. So you could do that right now or you could go online and give that way. Uh, if you want to write a check, write it to Glad Tidings uh, and designate um, Japan for your gift this morning. Or always you can always give the old-fashioned way cash. Cash is king at Glad Tidings Church. Actually, Jesus is king, but, you know, he accepts cash. So uh, we want to send them this morning. Uh, we want to just not, we just want to, bases are loaded, man. Let's hit a home run today. Uh, and let's send them to Japan and anything they get in excess of 14,000, which I believe is so possible if we all hear the spirit and give, will go towards helping with their monthly support as well. So this is awesome. This is awesome. This is like your firstborn son, daughter, you know, getting ready to leave home and begin their life. And we want them to begin so well. And so let's help them and let's send them. Thank you for sending them to the Comoros a few years back and now to Japan. And uh, let's pray this morning that God would enable us to do this. God, thank you this morning that everything that you have put into our hands is, is from you. And God, we hold our hands this morning the resources that you have given with open hands. And we say, God, you are Lord of all. You are Lord of every penny, every dime, every dollar that passes through our hands. And God, as stewards in your kingdom, we pray that we would invest. You give us the wisdom to invest wisely, sacrificially. God, we pray for Jeremy and Melissa this morning that as they prepare to launch in these next few weeks, that your spirit would would fill them and overflow from them. God, we pray for divine favor as they go. And we ask, God, that you would raise up others. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, we ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest field. Raise them up from this congregation called Glad Tidings and send us, God, to the nations. Send us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's put our hands together for the saddles for being obedient, saying, yes, Lord. Thank you. We're so proud of you guys. Awesome. God bless you as you give this morning. Uh, We're going to um, pick up where we left off last week. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me. Or your smart devices to Revelation chapter 3. And verse number 14. Revelation 3, 14. 
Today I want to talk to you about the insanity of pride. The insanity of pride. Well, we're going to do a little review here this morning. So let's pick up where we were last week. Verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. This is Jesus here speaking to this church. He says, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, last week I asked the question, uh, you know, why would Jesus say something like this? Why would he say to this church, I wish you were either hot or cold? You know, if Jesus is talking about spiritual temperature, that would make no sense, right? He doesn't want us cold toward him, right? He wants us hot, fervent, fully, fully committed to him. That's what Jesus wants. Why would he say, I wish you were hot or cold? Is it, is it, could it be that he's not talking about spiritual temperature, but something else? And we learned last week that this church in Laodicea, uh, they had a water problem. They had to get their water from their neighbors. They had to get the hot water from Hierapolis, uh, which was seven miles away. Uh, that's where they got their hot water and they had to get their cold water from Colossae. And the only way they could get that water to Laodicea was through these these aqueducts that were several miles long. And by the time that water got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. And, and I believe what Jesus may have been saying to this church was um, you've got you've got a water problem. You don't have a spring of your own. I wish you had a hot spring like Hierapolis or a cold, refreshing spring like Colossae. But as it is, you have no spring of your own. You're living on borrowed water. Here's a church that was living on borrowed water and God wanted them to have their own spring. They were code, they were dependent on on the revelation of others, if you will. They were dependent on the spiritual life of others for them to survive. And and Jesus was saying, I wish you had your own spring of water. And in scripture, anytime you you, you hear that word water, think spirit. Okay? Think spirit. Jesus said at one point and he said this to the Samaritan woman at the well. He said to her, everyone who drinks this water, H2O, right, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water, meaning spirit, I give him will never thirst again. Indeed, the water, the spirit that I give them will become in them a spring of water, spirit welling up to eternal life. So Jesus was talking to this church and saying, you need your own spring of water. Spiritually speaking, you need to get that spring of water. And Jesus talked about how he was the baptizer in the spirit. And last week we prayed in that direction that we would just all be filled with the spirit. Now, this week we are uh, moving on in the same passage and we're going to begin in verse number 17 where Jesus continues to reveal the condition of this church and he says something to them uh, that's very, very um, what, maybe shocking. Let's see what he says. He says this, you say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful Poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so you can become rich. 
and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. So why would Jesus use these these striking words to describe the church? Why would he use words like you're you're poor and you're blind and you're naked? Why would he use those words? The church of Laodicea was um, and the city of Laodicea was a very wealthy city. It was very wealthy. It was very popular. And people would come from all around to the city. Uh, Laodicea had a medical school. Uh, they were training medical students and um, they were discovering all kinds of of things in that medical school. And uh, one of the things that they had was they had created this eye salve to prevent blindness. Okay. They also had uh, this Laodicea also had uh, this black wool. They had the amazing sheep that produced this this silky black wool. And people would come from all over the Roman Empire to to buy this eye salve and to buy this black wool for clothing. But they also had um, they also had a large banking center there. It was the largest banking center in uh, uh, Asia Minor. And so people from all over would come to Laodicea uh, because of their banking, their ISAV and their black wool. So it must have shocked this church to hear Jesus describe them as poor, blind and naked. They had never, ever heard those words used to describe them. Never had it ever crossed their mind that they were poor. They were one of the wealthiest cities. Never did it cross their mind that they were blind. I mean, they were the ones helping blind people see. Right? And certainly they weren't naked. They were dressed in some of the most expensive clothes of the day. And this was the culture that this church was in. And the culture of, uh, of the city became the culture of the church, of God's people. And Jesus begins with this, you say I am rich. You say I have need of nothing. How many of you know there's what you say and there's what God says? We have to remember that our our. Our human perspective is is vastly different than God's perspective. And God is not quite impressed with the things that impress us. There's a vast difference between our reputation, which is what others have to say about us, and our character, which is what God has to say about us. Jesus says, you say I am rich. I have need of nothing. Why would Jesus quote this? Phrase that was said by the church and the city of Laodicea. Well, there were two occasions where the city of Laodicea had suffered a massive earthquake. The first earthquake that they had suffered was in AD 17, and it was at the time that Tiberius was the Roman Emperor. And Tiberius said, hey, the city of Laodicea has been decimated by this earthquake. Let us come in, provide some disaster relief to help you build the city. This was the first earthquake. And they said that would be great. And so they, they accepted those funds and they rebuilt the city. Well, sometime later, a second earthquake hit Laodicea, decimating the city once again. And it was in AD 60. And this time the emperor again offered disaster relief to build the city. And you know what Laodicea said? No, thanks. 
we are rich and we have need of nothing. And with their own funds, they rebuilt the city after that second earthquake. And Tacticus, or excuse me, Tacitus, the Roman historian, he tells us this. He quote, Laodicea arose from the ruins by the strength of her own resources and with no help from us. It was in this historical context that Jesus said, you say I am rich and have need of nothing. See, the church in Laodicea had become very prideful, very, very arrogant, uh, like the city that it resided in. And they said, you know what? No, thanks. We don't need your help. Can you imagine saying to God, God, I, I don't need you. We're rich. We have need of nothing. We don't need you anymore. Right. They had radically this radically independent attitude. They'd become arrogant. They had become self-sufficient. And of course, we know that the Bible calls this sin, pride and rebellion. And Jesus said to them this, you say this, but you do not realize you do not realize that you are, then he uses these words, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. They didn't have a clue. Right? You say this, but you do not realize, right? They had no clue of their true condition. They had no clue of what was really going on. I've got a few slides I want to show you. Let's show that first slide. No clue of what's going on. Yeah, that's the right slide. How many of you know this little boy has no clue that he has a toilet paper tail? Right? All right, next slide. So you're laughing. Has this ever happened to you? Raise your hand. I'm just You're raising your hand. I love it. All right. Look closely at this picture, though. See the guy back in the mirror there? What's he doing? He's taking the picture. Isn't that great? I love it. So this guy has no clue what's going on. That's like Jesus saying, you have no idea. You have no idea what's going on. Let's see the next slide. All right, ladies, your worst nightmare, right? Worst nightmare. I'm going to ask the ladies, how many of the, how many of you have had this happen, right? Worst nightmare. Okay. Pride is like a toilet paper tail. Everybody sees it but you. Everybody sees it but you. Some of you are like, right now you just check. <laughs> right? Pride is difficult to self-diagnose. Pride creates these blind spots in our lives. It's like your life is like driving a car. Every one of us driving a car has blind spots. There, there's, there is a, a portion behind us that we can't see. And we need mirrors to help us see what's, what's going on. And, and sometimes even those mirrors don't work. On my truck, I've got the big mirror that gives me the big picture. And then I've got these little fisheye mirrors. And uh, I think they're called that anyway. And they help me see those blind spots. How many of you know we need mirrors in our lives to see blind spots? You know, this lady that we just saw up there with that toilet paper tail, she needed a mirror. 
She needed to be able to look in a mirror and see what was going on. And the mirror that God gives us is there's a couple different mirrors. God gives us his word as a mirror. It reflects who God is and who we are in light of who he is. God gives us his spirit, right? God gives us our friends. Oh, my goodness. Right. If that was your friend and you saw her or him with a toilet paper tail, what would you do? Take a picture, right? (laughs) You'd say, hey, you know what? There's you got something going on here, right? I'm not touching it, but you need to do something about this. Okay. So Jesus is being a friend. He says, he says, uh, uh, he says, those I love, I rebuke and I discipline. And he's saying, you've got a toilet paper tail. You say you can see, you say you, you're rich, all of this, but you don't realize that you are poor, blind and naked. In essence, Jesus was saying this. If it's money that you put your hope in, you're still poor. If it's medicine, Medicare, health insurance, if that's what you put your hope in, you're still sick. You're still blind. And if it's your clothing that you put your your identity in, right, you're still naked. So essentially what he's saying is you put your hope in these things. And what pride does is, is pride will give you a false hope. Give you a false hope. And how many of you know that Jesus is really good at at uncovering that false hope? And when he does, when he uncovers that false hope, you feel kind of naked. I want you to look at um, King Nebuchadnezzar. He's a great example of the insanity of pride. King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter 4, verse 29. Um, Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said this. Is not this great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Can you just smell the arrogance? Can't you just see the toilet paper tail? The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and you will live with the wild animals and you will eat grass like cattle. Seven times, meaning seven years, will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Watch this. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. And he was driven away from people and he ate grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Can I tell you, there's a there's an insanity that comes with pride. Pride makes you crazy and makes you like an animal. Separates you from people. It separates you from the the favor of God. You become wild. Verse 34. And at the end of this time. I Nebuchadnezzar. I raised my eyes towards heaven. That's what we're going to do this morning. And my sanity was restored. 
Then I praised the Most High. I honored and I glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? Wow. And at the same time that my sanity was restored, watch this. Watch what happens when a man humbles himself. My honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. Wow. My advisors and nobles, they sought me out, right? Instead of avoiding him, they were seeking him out. I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and I exalt and glory the king, glorify the king of heaven, because everything he does is right. And all his ways are just. Imagine saying that after seven years eating grass like cattle. Right? And watch this. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble he is able to humble. You know, I've learned that we, we, have, uh, we have the opportunity to either humble ourselves or to be humiliated. One or the other will happen. You choose. I want to focus on verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. There is an insanity that comes with pride. My question this morning is, what's it going to take for you to raise your eyes towards heaven and to get your sanity back? Some of you are in a fight, you're in a struggle, you're resisting God. You're resisting God. What is that? That's pride. You're resisting God. Well, I I don't deserve. That's pride. That's true. You don't deserve. But humility says, I don't deserve, but I receive a gift. Some of you are resisting the grace of God. That's pride. You're insane to resist the grace of God. Well, I have to do this and I have to do that. And once I get my devotion life squared away for at least two weeks. You're insane. Repent. Receive the grace of God. What's it going to take for you to humble yourself and open the door? Jesus is knocking, but you don't open the door because you don't feel like you need him. Maybe you're here today. You don't feel like you need him. You're saying, God, I have all that I need. But the truth is, is you need God even when you don't feel you need God. In fact, the moment you don't feel you need God is the moment you need him the most. So you may be hearing, oh, I don't need, I don't feel my need for, you need him more now than ever before. Can I tell you? Nebuchadnezzar was in a place, God, I don't need you. I, I, look what I have done. I am, I am set for life. Look what my hands have done. You're insane. You don't feel your need for God today. You need him today more than the person who feels they need him. You're on the verge of insanity. We have to be intentional 
Listen to me. We have to be intentional about humbling ourselves before God. Because there are days you will feel like you don't need him. Some of you are like, I can't imagine that. I feel him like more than ever before. Jeremy and Melissa are like, oh God, I need a miracle. <laughs> Here's what we do. You have to be intentional about humbling yourself before God. Because a lot of times what we do this is we'll humble ourselves before God when we're desperate for him. And we should. When you're desperate for God, you need to open the door. God, I'm letting you in. God, I need you, right? But what if all the bills are paid and you have money left over and you've had, you have the job you always wanted and you have relationships that are satisfying and you're at the weight you always wanted to be? How many of you hate that person already? Right? The question is, will you intentionally in the moment of your satisfaction, in your contentment, in your plenty, in that moment, will you humble yourself before God and say, God, I need you now more than ever before? Or will you say like the church of Laodicea, I am rich, I have all that I need. Right? God is knocking. Jesus is knocking. What is your response? You have one of two responses to the knock at the door. You can say, I have need of nothing. I'm not going to open the door. Or I need you more. More than ever before. I need you more. Humility. How can I know if I'm prideful? What's the first thought that you have when you, when you do have a need in your life? What's your first thought when you have a need? That can tell you a lot about whether or not you're prideful. What do you do when you have a need? Do you Google? Do you pull out the credit card? Do you phone a friend? What do you do when you have a need? The first thought is, oh my goodness, I've got to go out here somewhere and get this need met in some way. Or is your first need, your first thought is, I'm going to cry out on God on this need. Right? Can I tell you, prayerlessness is pride. When you have a need, the first call you should make is to call on God. All the time, every time. Health insurance, no health insurance. Money in the bank, no money in the bank. God, I cry out to you for this need. Our first response is to pray. And that is a sign of humility when we do pray. And the lack of prayer is a sign of pride. What's the first thought that you have when you don't have a need? What if you don't have a need? What's your first thought? Is it thankfulness or is it or is it pride? So how can I conquer pride? There's only one way and that's to humble yourself. How do you conquer pride? Write this down. Humble yourself every chance you get. Humble yourself in the sight of God every chance you get. That's how you defeat pride. Humble yourself every chance. Every time there's an altar call, go to the altar. Every time there's an opportunity, thank God, thank God. Every time there's an opportunity to pray, pray. Every time, every chance you get, humble yourself in the sight of not men, but in the sight of God. The apostles did this. The angels are doing this. Jesus himself humbled himself over and over again. And can I tell you, you don't need a revelation of your badness. Your poverty, your blindness, your naked. You don't need a revelation of your badness to humble yourself. You need a revelation of the goodness of God. And when you have a revelation of how good and how great God is, can I tell you, you'll humble yourself every time. The reason why Moses called himself the most humble man on the face of the earth is because he spoke to God face to face. 
Listen, when you get a revelation of God's goodness, you will humble yourself every time. James chapter 4 verse 10. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. 1 Peter 5 6. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Revelation 7 11. The, the angel said this. They fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God. The angels didn't have sin and they're worshiping God. Jesus humbled himself often. Never did he say I have need of nothing. He said these words. All coming from the gospel of John. He said this. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. By myself I can do nothing. I seek not to please myself. But him who sent me. For I have come down from heaven to do the will. Not my own will. But the will of him who sent me. Jesus said this. My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. I have not come on my own. God sent me. I am not speaking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the father living in me who is doing his work. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father, the father, the father, the father. He was always, always pointing to his father. Always humbling himself. Anything and everything Jesus had, he received from the Father and he gave the Father glory for it. So Jesus says this to this church in Laodicea. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Buy from me. Come to me. Open the door. Come and and, and get this gold that's refined in the fire so that you can become rich. White clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. What Jesus is saying is he's saying get your identity from me and from nothing else. I am your riches. I am your covering. And I am your medicine. Revelation 3.19 Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Let's change our mind about about pride today. Let's say, you know what? I don't want to be insane anymore. (laughs) There's an insanity of pride, but there's a sanity that comes with, with humility. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice... And opens the door. I will come in and eat with him. And he with me. How can we humble ourselves before God? How can we humble ourselves before God? How can we open the door and invite him in. In bigger ways. One of the simplest ways that we can humble ourselves before God. Is to simply fast and pray to fast and pray you see when you fast when you give up food or media screen time whatever it might be football by the way football's a good thing to give up these days nobody's doing very well that i think you know but when you fast when you fast food what happens is you're putting yourself in a place of dependence on god So this is a really good thing to do if you feel like all your bills are paid, all your needs are met. What do you do? Put yourself, humble yourself by putting yourself in a place where you do have to feel that dependence on God again. 
And when your stomach is growling, it, 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 it causes you to say, Oh, God, I need food, but I need you more than I need food. God, I love ice cream and brownies. Somebody say amen. But God, I love you more than I love ice cream and brownies. See, fasting puts yourself in a place of dependence on God again. It's humbling yourself before God. God, I need you. Fasting reveals also who your master is. Right? Food for the stomach, the stomach for food, but I will not be mastered by either. I'm not going to let my physical appetites master me because I have one master. This is how we humble ourselves, fasting and prayer. Fasting reveals what you're really, really hungry for. I want you to stand with me today as, as we close. I don't know if you're in a place today where you feel your need for God it's, and it's easy for you to, to humble yourself saying God I need you or maybe you're in a place where man life is good life is really really good God has blessed you right and you feel man you feel like you've worked hard maybe you're like older in years along in years and, and you're, you're reaping some of that hard work uh, you're reaping the, 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 the fruit of your labor. And that's a blessing from God. And you're in a place where you don't really necessarily feel. But can we do this today? Can we humble ourselves before God? Can we do that today? And I want to invite you. If you want to join me at the front and say, you know what? I want to humble myself before God. I want to declare my need for him today. I'm going to encourage you to come right now as we begin to sing this song. good. He's so good to us. I pray that you have a blessed week in Jesus. If you would like prayer following our dismissal, our prayer workers will be available to pray with you. We could hang out here all day. In fact, if you want to, we'll be here for a while. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week in Jesus.